0: Stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.
1: There are some stories that are so startling you'd think they would make it beyond their county's limits. If you grew up in Woodstock, you've probably heard of the Topping family. The Topping Farmhouse is on lot 8 in Cuthbert Road, Concession 6, just south of Swayburg in southwest Oxford. And it was in that farmhouse that Timothy Topping massacred his family on a chilly winter morning that's not just another murder case, it's grown into a whole lot more. Maybe you've gone out to Critters Lane yourself, late at night with your friends hoping to catch a glimpse of a ghost. Could these ghosts be the spirits of the Topping family, lingering in the last place they were happy together? Here's your host, Haley Che.
0: On December 20th, 1873, the Toppings went to sleep as a family of 10. There were eight children, the mother Sarah, and Timothy Topping, the patriarch of the family. They were four more sleeps away from Christmas, and the countdown was on for the children. But on the morning of the 21st, before the sun had a chance to rise, the little town in which they lived would get a shock that few towns have lived through. Timothy Topping woke up that morning and killed his wife and his four youngest children the story would become known as the Topping Massacre. This is Megan Lockhart, archives technician at the Oxford County Archives.
2: Timothy woke up uh, kind of just before sunrise around like 5 a.m. according to um, the witness reports with his children and everything. Um, his wife had actually woken up before him and I guess she had asked him if, she, if he would like her to make tea and he told her to no go back to sleep. So she did. Unfortunately, that led to her um, demise because shortly after he got up and he grabbed an axe that had been um, just freshly sharpened by one of his sons the night before. And he killed his wife while she slept. Um, He also killed his four youngest children who were sleeping together um, in a a room all together. Newton was 11. (laughs) Mary was, um, I think she was nine, Martha was seven, and Bruce
0: was five. This would be the first and only massacre in Oxford County, and it was something that may have been beyond even the townspeople's worst nightmares. The scene was horrific. There was blood splattered on the walls and on the floors, forming puddles in the beds in which the children slept. Timothy aimed for their heads, coming down with so much force the axe could have gone straight through their skull, killing them instantly. Reports from the police say that most of the children were only hit once, while Sarah was hit three times. It all happened in a matter of minutes, leaving behind four survivors who lived to tell the story.
2: After he killed his four youngest children, he left the axe downstairs. and He grabbed a butcher knife instead. He he went and grabbed a knife, and he started heading up a, a ladder that led up to the upstairs bedroom, where his other children were sleeping. And his... Um, one his oldest son whose name was also timothy he was known as timothy hamilton he actually woke up because before his father had killed sarah the mother um she had yelled out uh for help from the boys so he woke up and he saw his father climbing up the ladder and he woke up his uh younger brother henry and then together they actually managed to wrestle the knife out of their father's hand thankfully um because that kind of stopped the massacre from continuing with the rest of the children.
0: After failing to kill the other boys, he decided to end his own life. He took the freshly sharpened axe to his throat, cleanly slicing through the skin.
2: The younger brother, Arthur, woke up at this point with all the commotion, ran downstairs, saw the quite, I'm sure it was quite disturbing scene for him, and he screamed. Um, And he, after his scream, that kind of triggered Timothy, and he grabbed a chair and chased his son out of the house. when he came back in the house, he because he was bleeding so much, his oldest son actually grabbed a towel and like tried to staunch the ble- uh, bleeding around his neck.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, Timothy then decided to sit down like very calmly and write his confession
0: letter. One of the topping boys was able to leave the house to get help from the neighbors. At first, they didn't believe him. How could something this gruesome take place in their sleepy little town? But by the time they got there, the damage had already been done. The police were next to arrive on the scene, taking Timothy into custody. There were never any doubts about who committed the atrocity. The news was fast to circulate around town, and soon the area around the Topping farmhouse was full of nosy neighbors, hoping to catch a glance of the crime scene.
2: After the murders, they had a big uh, a funeral, and I guess it was one of the like largest funerals um, attended in the local area at the time. Um, I think a lot of it was because of the, like, news surrounding the deaths and stuff, right? So I think mm-hmm. some people probably were going just for the spectacle of, oh, my gosh, like, our neighbors were murdered, right? So, um, you know, people used to show up and watch hangings back then <laughs> just for yeah. entertainment. So, um, but Timothy attended the, the funeral, too, of his victim, like, of his family members. Um, and, again, it was reported that he, like, kissed their foreheads while the, before the coffins were closed.
0: Murderers don't typically kiss their victims on their foreheads, even if they are family. By all appearances, this was a father that loved his wife and children. So why did he do it? What could have possibly drove Timothy to this point? This is Adam Fawcett, writer of the book Dark Cloud of Oxford, The Topping Massacre.
3: Well, he was always described as being kind of astray, as they put it in the articles, that he just didn't seem of sound mind. And he had had a daughter who unfortunately died in Iowa within 10 years of when this took place. And it really just, his mental state just went way, way off. He just became a different person. He was just not good to kind of be around. He wasn't like overly violent, but he just, there was something about him that everybody that knew him kind of was off.
2: A lot of People that knew the family had said that um, he was known locally as crazy Tim. Um, and he would actually refer to himself as that occasionally as well. Um, and it was very, he made it very clear to people that he was suffering from like a depressive state. Um, so it was known by the community. So the motivation was kind of there. Um, and then the, there was a local um, doctor who had said that he had come to him because he was really struggling with insomnia. So he wasn't sleeping for days and days. So I think that obviously also contributed to his mental health state at the time. And he had been prescribed sleeping pills at one point.
0: On top of the death of his beloved daughter, his other motives became clear in his confession letter.
2: In the letter, he said that um, he was doing it out of love because there were local rumors that the family was in like terrible, terrible debt. Um, He was known to have a lot of business failures as well that he had struggled with. And I think he was honestly concerned he was going to, like, lose his house and his family was going to be just poverty stricken and they were going to have to be, like, begging for money and, you know, starving. I believe, like, neighbours and different local people, too, had spoken to him and tried to, like, give him advice, like, oh, you could maybe um, sell lumber from your property and then make money that way or sell um, rail ties to, you know, like, things like that to kind of try and um, pay off that debt. But he always said, no, no, that won't work, that won't work. So, um, it almost seems like he was not to you know um, assume or make like make any assumptions but it almost seems like if you're analyzing it that he was in such a like horrible mental state that he just could not imagine getting out of like the trouble he was in
3: like he was worried about his children essentially being living in poverty because he was afraid that he was gonna lose his house his land, everything so they would have to essentially become beggars by murdering them he just figured that was it easiest route I guess to, you know, save them from being beggars.
0: It was clear that Timothy Topping was the one that killed his family, and at the trial every remaining member of the family testified as a witness. But what came into question during the trial was his mental state. He was ruled to have been out of his mind at the time of the massacre, and yet he was still convicted and sentenced to hang. He awaited his execution at the London Lunatic Asylum as it was called at the time. He never did make it to the gallows. He provoked a guard while in the asylum, who in turn hit Timothy with a fatal blow to the head with a wooden baton. But this is not where his story ends. Timothy, Sarah, and the four deceased children are said to haunt the now infamous road called Critter's Lane, a dark narrow road that cowers in the shade of the overhanging trees. There are no streetlights or bright yellow dividing lines. If you're brave enough to walk this road, the only thing you'll see is ink black darkness. And maybe, if you're lucky, that darkness will be disrupted by the ghosts of the Topping family.
3: Guy going to town most nights, so you always see a carp going down it or parked on it. And you just kind of think, ah, they're there for the whole Topping thing. As kids, everybody kind of talked about it around here. Oh, Critters Lane, the Timothy's Topping thing. So even when I was like public school age, it's kind of the name's always been around. If you've lived here, you've heard of it. And if you don't live here, you've probably visited it. I mean, everybody's been there. Everybody. There's always these stories about like the the kids' handprints being on the dust in the, uh, if your car goes down, you stop your car. And the kids uh, apparently believe their handprints on the, in the dust on the car. If you stop your car, if you turn it off, it won't turn back on. Um, People have seen, you know, like orbs and red glowing, like kind of eyes, which in the book, I actually, Doing the book, I found out that it's a stop sign at the end of the road <laughs> that people are seeing in that sense.
0: Some of the occurrences have definitive explanations, like the stop sign. However, some do not.
2: Critters Lane itself, Line 43, actually has its own kind of ghost stories and things attached to it from the local community. Um, so even though the Topping family doesn't have a connection with that road, they're our stories, and I haven't gone in to do the research to like prove this, um, that someone died in an accident, um, on the railway crossing. So, um, supposedly somebody was in a car and they were hit by a train on the crossing on the road. Um, and then after that point, people said that they're, anytime you drive up on the road or walk along the road, um, kind of like after dark, um, people that believe in the paranormal have said that they experience, like, um, a burning in their chest or they get mysterious, um, like, scratches on their body. Um, There's people that say they see have seen, like, ghost children kind of, like, running across the road when they've been walking at night or having, um, like, hearing voices and, like, growling in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's all these ghost stories attributed to that road. um, And actually, um, there's this it's funny when you look online and you kind of research into like what people have claimed they've seen on the road. There's two stories that I have seen multiple people say that they've claimed to see this. Um, And people say they see a ghost transport truck, which drives on the wrong side of the road towards them and then disappears. And then a ghost train as well. So um, there's folklore attached to the road that if you, are driving along the road um, at night, and you see the the ghost train, and then you go up to the crossing, the ghost train will like hit you.
0: The tales have continued to grow as generations pass through the site. And sometimes they get a little out of hand, growing and evolving into exaggerated versions of the truth. This is Keith Owens, founder of South Coast Paranormal Norfolk County.
1: I remember in school, where the teacher would come over to the one side of the classroom, and the person on the far side uh, she would whisper a story in their ear right and then each person would turn around and tell it to the next classmate and by the time it got around to 30 kids it's a totally different story than what it even began and i think that's what happens with some of the folklore here
2: so cupbert road um that's just south of sweetberg has been confused with critters lane <laughs> Um, So Critters Lane is actually the um, line 43, which is west of Woodstock. It's actually a different road entirely. Um, And a lot of people don't know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So what happened was um, in 2003, and Adam actually um, kind of discovered this with his research, um, there was a a news article, and the person that wrote the article confused the topping, like the road the topping family lived on with the... um, Forty third line, and there, like somehow, there were like these rumors that the Topping House was actually on Critters Lane, um, but it wasn't. It was south of Sweetberg. It was in a different area. Um, So there's been like this connection with the Topping family with that road, but that's actually not um, true.
0: (laughs) Wrong location or not, there have been paranormal sightings on Critters Lane. This is what Keith found during his investigation into the area.
2: We were there
1: during COVID. We've actually been there three times. We had lots of activity when we were there the first few times. The third time, it seemed really, (laughs) in a roundabout way, I shouldn't say the word, but dead. (laughs) It was really quiet. You know, we didn't have much activity. So I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to think about Critters Lane. It wasn't what I expected. I expected to see. Um, the house on the side of the road. And I kind of, it just wasn't anything that I expected. It's an old dirt road that I don't even think a lot of people would even go down in the first place. You know, there's nothing but trees, and and there is a little spot there where you can pull over. But I was, I was rather disappointed. But um, when the rest of the gang got there, and we went and got deeper in and parked by the woods, as the sun set, It got more interesting. Things started happening, and then it wasn't so disappointing anymore.
0: Keith and his team used a bunch of different equipment during the investigation, most of which would be considered the industry standard, from cameras to MEL meters and EMF detectors. The one that showed the most activity during their investigation was the REM pod, The REM pod has an antenna that radiates an electromagnetic field around it and will sound an alert when anything moves in and out of that field, including a spirit.
1: When we went for a walk down the road and on the way back, like we're right in the middle of nowhere. So there shouldn't be anything setting anything up. (laughs) So if that, and it actually went off in the middle of the road, nothing around us, there's no hydro wires, nothing like that. And we were kind of shocked. And we went back again to try and see if we could debunk it. And we couldn't. It, it, it wouldn't happen again. It just wouldn't happen. It only ever happened that one time. But we'd also get hits on the EMF, like on the side of the ditch, like all over the place. And, uh, investigator Brandon, he kept feeling that something kept touching his ear. Uh, Vaughn kept hearing whispering in his ear, um... Just numerous different things that were happening. And it was like that The first and second investigation that we were there. Not so much on the third time we were there. It was like I say, it was more quiet. We had the odd blip on the EMF in that. But that was pretty much it for the third time.
0: Though a lot of his investigations were assisted by technical devices sensing a presence, one even allowed him, he claims, to converse with the spirit.
1: There's an app, Necrophonics. And this app here, it's like a lot of white noise it it makes, and the spirits can manipulate the app and make words through it. And we actually had a few interesting uh, things come through it. And the only reason I believe that it worked was when we would ask a question, we got a direct response back in, like, seconds. You're actually having a one-on-one conversation with the spirit. And it, it can be it can be kind of freaky you know your your hair will stand up on end you know and and some some of the there's actually I think a couple on there that we got responses back that it wasn't even like answering our question <clears throat> it was actually um, the spirit uh, being funny like being a smart ass right
0: there was also one part of the Critter's Lane lore that Keith had to test out
1: they say if you park your car, on the railroad tracks, somebody will push you to the other side, to safety. I tried it myself. I did it each time I was there. Um, I drove my Chevy Cruise because it's standard, and I would stop on the tracks, and I would put the car into neutral, no parking brake, and then I would holler. I'd start hollering for help, and nobody came and saved me, so... <laughs> I don't know if my car was too heavy or, but no, there was no children or anybody coming to push me off the tracks.
0: There's a lot of spooky occurrences on Critters Lane, even though it's not the actual site of the Topping Massacre. Keith wonders if there could still be a connection between the two.
1: Uh, the farmhouse was on the other concession and Critters Lane. Like the, uh, the way I figure I can figure it out, or I think I've got it figured out, is they're like one concession apart. Now, I don't know or I can't say, you know, 100% that the activity on Critters Lane has kind of spilled over, so to speak, spilled over to the next concession. If, you know, if that's actually the family haunting Critters Lane or it's because of the folklore that so many people have gone there that they're actually manifesting activity to happen there. Because we, could, we couldn't figure out uh, who we were talking to on our equipment like we had a man's voice come through We had a lady's voice come through But they would never uh, tell us their name. So who was who we were actually speaking to
0: Could it be the ghost of Sarah or is it just a glitch in the equipment people will have their theories But there's one thing you can be sure of weird things have happened on Critters Lane And it all falls within a close proximity to the county's first and only massacre So what do you think? Is it a family that can't move on? Or is it just a story that's been passed on for generations and nothing more?
1: This episode of the 519 Podcast was written and produced by Haley Cheng and Patrick Magermans. It was hosted by Haley
0: Cheng. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.